0: Again, good morning, you can turn to John chapter 1 with me uh, today, John chapter 1. Last week we, we wrapped up a series um, on conflict, and I got a ton of feedback, which is great, you just conversations I was able to have with people regarding conflict, where God was calling them into resolving conflict, um, uh, even just the practicality of it, of just dealing with relationships. Uh, I don't know about you, but relationships are sometimes hard. And uh, God gives us handlebars to be able to uh, live on the kingdom of God. And so it was just really fun to be able to walk through that with other people. Had a couple people that had a conflict with me. we got that result. And it was good. Um, I'm kidding. It was, um, it was just me and Alex. It's fine. Um, and now today, as we kind of transition into the holiday season... Um, I'm excited to be able to preach and teach and look at what it means for Christmas to come and what Christ has done in coming for Christmas. And so we're starting a new series today called Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe my favorite name in all of scripture is Jesus being called Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know what it would be like if it was the opposite, God not with us? I mean, it's a, it's a devastating thing that God would not be with us. It's an amazing thing to think that what it, what it means for God to be with us. But what does it mean for Jesus to be with us, God to be with us in person, in the person of Jesus? Well, this year, as we kind of open up to Christmas and celebrate the arrival of Jesus, as we're, we, we, we always do, we want to dig into Scripture and see what it means for us. To, to celebrate and to look at Jesus, the one, the, the person who comes to actually be with us at Christmas. So we're going to look at a number of different texts as we look at it together. And I want you to see over the next number of weeks how it changes your life. It should change your life. Christmas isn't just some season that comes and you put up a, a Christmas tree and you buy some presents. But there's a reality to the season that we celebrate. And his name is Jesus. And it should radically change our lives. It shouldn't just come about on Christmas Eve, and we just move forward, and we quickly read the Christmas story, but it should have impact in how we do and see life, and so I just want to ask you a question as we open up, and it's this: maybe you've ever thought about this. I have many different times of, um, man, if you could see God, I know it's a thing on people's heart because there's other people in Scripture that actually ask for this. If you could see God, have you ever imagined what you might encounter? What would it be like for you to, to see God? Now, I can give you some answers, but they might not be what we like because there's a couple of problems here when we talk about seeing God. The first one is that God is invisible. And we see this throughout Scripture. He, he, he's not actually, he, he's spirit, as it says in Scripture. So it's invisible. We can't see him. We can't even imagine what we would see. There's some descriptions in Scripture, but it says that God is invincible. Second, it says God is holy. Now, we, talk, we think of it's like, You're a holy roller, like that kind of thing. Well, holy, to to, to what we're talking about here with God, literally means set apart. That's what holy means. So if you're holy, you're set apart unto God. Now, what it means that God is holy is that he's set apart. He's other. He's different. He's holy. I'm not. He is different than every other thing in creation. So how can you imagine or or, or could could you imagine seeing something completely other than anything and everything you've ever known? He's completely other than finally, the reality of God and his presence every time you see in scripture is super intense. People are like, man, I just wish I could just walk with God. You wouldn't be walking with God. You would be falling down on your face before God because of his awe-striking presence before you. And we see a couple, a number of different times in scripture, see Moses, as they're just kind of dumbfounded throughout scripture by the presence of God. Moses is like, Can I just see you, God? And God's like, You can see my back. If you saw me, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Right? Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, says, Man, he, he gets this vision, an encounter with God in this throne room. And what's his first response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like in the presence of God's holiness, his otherness, he's like, man, I can't, I can't imagine being in his presence. Woe is me. The shepherds, even in the Christmas story, it says that they are filled with fear. And there's many different other scenarios. What, what, what I'm trying to show you is God's glory is so intense that people can't handle it when they encounter. It's almost like the sun we, we can experience the light of the sun, but you can't look directly in it, or you can't go in directly in its presence, or you will not make it. See, God's presence is intense. So how do we, as human beings, actually completely uh, understand who God is, see him for what he is, as a God who is, who, is, who is invincible, a God who is holy and other, a God who is so intense, is it not virtually impossible to see and be? with God so I want to pose you another question and this is what I want you to just rest with is how do we see the glory of God this is kind of what I'm getting at how can we as the people of God see the glory of God and and I'm getting somewhere easily in the text and in our service today is really at the end of it all it's in Jesus one of Jesus' closest disciples, what we're going to look at with John here, who wrote the gospel according to John, it gives us amazing introduction. and does this, He gives a startling claim about the reality of Jesus and seeing God. And John, we'll get there today in our text, in verse 18 of chapter 1 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the, fa- the Father's side. He, Jesus Christ, has made him known. He says, No one's ever seen God. But God, who is Jesus, has made him known. So, so John affirms everything that's previously in Scripture, that God is unseeable. You can't, you can't witness him. He's an invincible. But then he goes on to talk about how Jesus, God himself, has made God known to us. That the, the glory of God, I'm giving away the whole message here, the glory of God is found in the person of Jesus. That the the glory of God, the holiness of God put on display is found in Jesus. And so today, if we just back up a few verses, in in verses 14 and following, we just kind of see a couple of ways in which how we can witness and see the glory of God. I mean, I'll just say this is the, the beauty of Christmas is that Jesus gets put on display for the world, the beginning of the story of Jesus is found in Christmas, but that's not the end. It's not just that we come to witness him. As we'll see today, we get to see his works and what he's done on our behalf. But it all starts at Christmas, Christmas, where we get to witness the glory of God. It's found in the person of Jesus. So, wrestling with that question, how do we see the glory of God? We're going to start in verse 14, and the first thing I, first thing I just want you to see is that, that behold the person of Jesus. Just behold Jesus. You going to see the glory of God? It's not this heaven opening, like, und- just witness Jesus. He is the glory of God. Look, look what it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh. This is what the story of Christmas is. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his Glory. What? Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then there's just parentheses about John the Baptist. John bore witness about it and cried out. This was he whom, I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Speaking of Jesus. So, right, here in John chapter 14, or chapter 1 and verse 14, John makes this kind of audacious claim. Do you know what it is? I mean, I'm not overstating this. This is an unbelievable and audacious claim. And to understand why it's that way, you have to go back to verse uh, 1 through 3 at the beginning. What does John say? Before you get to verse 14, you have verses 1 through 3. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You just break that down for a minute. John, here, he, his opening phrase in John chapter 1, the very beginning of the gospel according to John, is bringing to mind the Genesis account. It's saying, in the beginning, it's going back all the way, you read the beginning of Genesis, it's in the beginning, this, and he's trying to bring about our thoughts to go back there. He says, in the beginning, what? Was the word. Remember the Genesis account. Every time God created, how did he create? He spoke. And it it, it, it existed. Now this is just free. It's just my observation of Genesis. Do you realize that you as a person made in the image and likeness of God are the only thing that wasn't spoken into existence? You were formed. You you are intrinsically different than all creation made in the image and likeness of God. You weren't spoken. You were formed by God himself, and then he breathed into us the breath of life, right? Well, he's bringing us back to that creation account, right, where he's saying, in the beginning, what was the word? That the word was the agent by which everything is created, right? Right? Again, people are like, where is Jesus in the beginning? We have God the Father speaking everything to existence. We have the Spirit hovering over the water. And then where is Jesus? Well, Jesus was there. He's the one by which everything is being created. That's why you read. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. The word. Right? And without him was not anything made that was May, John is laying the groundwork for a Trinitarian theology here of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from the very beginning of the gospel. John and the very beginning of creation itself. And it's important for us to see that Jesus, the word here in John 1, is God. Jesus wasn't created. He was there at the beginning. He put on human flesh, as Philippians 2 says, to come and dwell among us. So we look at the word in verse 14. We see this startling statement. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is so filled. You could just spend a couple weeks just looking at this. Jesus here is declared as enacting an incredible act. The eternal word, God himself, puts on human flesh and becomes a human being. You might say, why is this revolutionary? It's revolutionary, I've shared this with you a number of different times before, this is the first sign of the curse being reversed. In Genesis it says that God walked with man in the cool of the day. All that was broken because of sin. And God's relationship with man was eternally fractured. And here now, the first time we see in the text of Scripture where Jesus again enters creation and walks with man again in the cool of the day. It's the first sign of the undoing of the curse when Christ comes in human flesh. It's what we call incarnation in the flesh that Jesus comes and he came in flesh for what? So that we might behold him, right? There's a number of things that we need to behold in the text just from here is The first one is that he's fully human. Jesus isn't. We, we wrestle with this idea in, in the text of scriptures that what we call the hypostatic union of Christ. I know it's a big theological word, but it means that God is, Jesus is fully God, and yet he's fully man. We can't quite understand that fully, but he didn't put off or change that he was God by coming as a human, and he did not become a human because he was God. He's fully God and fully human, and it's vitally important. In the text of Scripture, and here it says, "Man, he put, he became flesh," set in contrast to the the spirit uh, that he was before. He now the spirit is now putting on flesh to become flesh, the eternal Word set in front of us. Second, he dwelt with humanity. We behold that Jesus become fully human. He's dwelling with humanity. The word here is translated; it literally would be translated the word pitched his tabernacle or lived in his tent among us this is what this word means that he dwelt it's he tabernacled now there's a reason why it says that it's because it's it's brought about again not just this genesis account but it brings about this idea It takes us back to the idea of the tabernacle when when moses was leading the people god would dwell where He would dwell in the midst of them but he wasn't able to walk with them in the cool of the day. He wasn't able to be fully reunited to them again. He was tabernacling among them and that's where he dwelt and so when he uses this word he dwelt among them. All of these Jewish people are like "Man, he tabernacling among us? What? The tabernacle was meant to be temporary and now John is pointing to something that is going to be this full dwelling, eternal dwelling, while the word becomes flesh, right? So, not only men, we be behold this humanness, his, his dwelling among us, and him revealing his glory. That's what he says. You see, those that would have been the audience of John's gospel would have connected the tabernacle with the visible manifestation of God. See, the tabernacle amongst the people was the visible manifestation of God's presence with his people. And here now, John is saying, Jesus has dwelt among us. He's tabernacled among us. He's he's visibly manifest among us, right? Man, you haven't seen God before, but now here he is fully revealed, his glory fully revealed among us. And it says his glory is full of what? Grace and truth. Now, this is immense good news for us, grace and truth. Why? Well, the reason why is because this is referring back to Exodus. I know this is a lot. It's referring back so much as in these texts. It's referring back to Exodus 34 with a couple of Hebrew words that reference covenantal love and the faithfulness of, his, uh, faithfulness of God to his people. So full of grace, said his covenantal love, he's full of that, and he's fulfilling that. And then truth, he's faithful to his people. He fulfills all of his promises. So in Christ's coming, and this is why people are like, I have read this text before, I have gotten it. and there is so much in the word of God that Jesus is saying, here I am, full of grace, and truth, tabernacling among you, a visible sign of the glory and the goodness of God, the grace of God, the covenantal love of God, the faithfulness of God. You thought we forgot about the covenant I made of in the Old Testament, that I would come and the seed of David would come and it would bless the entire world. You think I forgot, but I am full of love, covenantal love and faithfulness I don't forget. And here it is put on full display for you that's super important for you because none of you (laughs) would be where you are today if it wasn't for the covenantal love and faithfulness of god in sending jesus for us so when you read this text it's a visible manifestation of the covenantal love and faithfulness of god that's why we behold jesus if you just stop for a moment and consider what John is saying here, he's saying, man, in Jesus, the invisible, holy, heavenly, and severely intense God is now visible, earthly, fleshly, approachable, and full of covenantal love and faithfulness. In Jesus, you don't have to imagine God. You get to see God. That's pretty amazing. You get to see him. I love the way Hebrews puts it. Hebrews chapter 1, if you... If you just listen as I read the first three verses. Listen to what it, listen to what it says about Jesus. Long ago at many times, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There it is again, the word. He created the whole world through Jesus. He is what? The radiance of the glory of of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. I mean, this is who we behold Jesus, who is the, the perfect imprint of who God is. We want to see God, we look to Jesus. We want to know what God does, we look to Jesus. He's the exact replica and imprint of who God is, because why? Because he is God. You think about illustrations to try and illustrate this point, and all of them fall flat because they don't quite make sense. But if you're, uh, oftentimes I refer to my kids in illustrations. And I think it's fascinating. If you're a parent, or if you're hearing you're a kid, you can understand this. Um, if you're a parent, you know one of your kids, if you have numerous kids, um, they, they are your exact imprint. Yes? It's like I look back at pictures of my oldest daughter, Addison, uh, when she was a baby, and then I look back at Sarah's, and I was like, whoa. It's like the same person. Then you go a step further, like they're the same human beings. If you ever want to know what I'm like, meet my youngest daughter, Paisley. She's got a big mouth. Uh, She's, uh, you know, she's fantastic. Love everything about her. Because she is like my little mini-me. She's like my imprint. And Sarah, Addie is kind of Sarah's imprint. Emma, we're still trying, I'm just kidding. She's both of us, a mixture. She's the middle one, right? And that doesn't even quite do justice to what we're talking about here. But the point is, is that this is the idea of what he's saying, is that Jesus Christ is the perfect image of who God is because he is fully God himself with human flesh on. He's the exact image. He's the person of Christ. And, man, in this season, I just want to call you to behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Behold the fact that God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. God could have left you undone in your sin and your brokenness, but Christmas is the beautiful sign and picture that God loves you so much he didn't leave you there. Behold, God is now with us. He came after us. He left heaven and put on human flesh. Humbling himself. Remember what I said at the beginning? He's holy. He's other. There is nothing like him. men. he put on our brokenness, setting apart his holiness so that he might come and rescue and redeem us. So this season, I just call you, how do you see the glory of God in Christmas? Behold the person of Jesus. What does that look like? How do you know Jesus? How do you behold Jesus if you never crack your Bible open? How do you behold Jesus? Man, I'll just tell you, beholding Jesus is not a Christmas and Easter thing. Where you open your Bible at Christmas to read the story to your children, and you open at Easter to do the same. Beholding Jesus is a daily thing. Beholding Jesus isn't just looking at the text of Scripture and seeing who Jesus is and what he's done as we'll get to. Beholding Jesus is actually stepping into what he calls us to. Beholding Jesus is reading the Gospels, continually keeping Jesus ever present before us, knowing how we should function and act. Man, you want to know what it looks like for you to live in a world that is very countercultural to the ways of Jesus? Look to Jesus. Stop looking to some pastor or some person or your favorite uh, evangelist on TV. Look to Jesus. Behold Jesus. You want to see what it looks like for you to be engaged in, in, in loving people that don't like you? Look to Jesus. You want to know what God calls you to in the Christian faith and how you should function? Behold Jesus. And it starts at the very beginning. What did Jesus do when he came? He wasn't a big parade. He wasn't in a palace. He wasn't all these things. He was humble and lowly and and not concerned about his own clout or being known or whatever it is. Man, if we could get a little bit of that into us in the world today, it might change a lot. Behold Jesus in this season. He is the radiance and the glory of God. Well, not only just beholding Jesus, but beholding the work of Jesus. Look what it says as you continue on in verse 16. For from him, excuse me, for from his fullness we have all what? Received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Again, this is the verse we read at the beginning. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And I don't want you to just look at the life of Jesus and behold what Christ, I- who Christ is. I want you to behold who or what he has done. He, he moves now to like, hey, this is what, he has come to do, he refers to his fullness, referencing that he is full of grace and truth, as we've already read. And out of that grace and truth, we receive what? Grace upon grace. This is a super unique phrase, super unique phrase, where John really is is trying to put on display what verse 17 really means, right? He says, man, well, Moses brought you the law, Jesus brings you grace and truth, right? The law of Moses really brought this revelation of God and and, and brought about people into a covenantal relationship with God. And Jesus now is the full and finality of that covenant found in Christ. So Moses brought about the law and it was meant to, to usher in a people into a covenant and help us to know who God is and what he expects. But now Jesus, he comes and he doesn't abolish the law, he fulfills it, right? As, as scripture says, and he comes to fulfill the covenant that has been promised to us. You see, God's heart from the very beginning has been to dwell with his people. In Genesis 1, when I tell you, he, he's there after he creates and he's enjoying his creation. God longs to dwell with us, so much so that even in the Old Testament, he tabernacles among his people. And here in the beginning of the Gospels, he comes because the tabernacle was only a picture of what was to come. The sacrifices the priests made in that tabernacle were only a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that Christ would make. And now what does Jesus do? He doesn't reside in a tabernacle. He doesn't even reside in a body walking this earth. He left and now we get to experience the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who tabernacles in us. Because that's the work of Jesus. You see, Jesus is really preparing to reveal the rest of the gospel, what he's about to reveal. And the whole point is that he wants you to see the works of Jesus. Like, what has he done? It's not good enough just to see Jesus and know about him, but to actually, what does it look like to be with Jesus? Well, just two chapters later, maybe the famous, most famous scripture in all of the Bible, John 3.16. Anybody know that? If you're here online and you've never been to church, I promise you, you've probably heard of John 3.16. People put it on signs and games and everything else, but in it wraps up the works of Jesus. What do he say? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus comes to show us not only who God is, but how he loves us. Beholding Jesus isn't just to see what, like like, this is how Jesus functioned, but beholding Jesus' work is to say, and this is what he does for us. This is how much he loves us, right? To behold the works of Jesus is to behold the love of God. To behold the works of Jesus is to behold the grace upon grace that he's speaking of in the text that we get to experience as we place our faith and trust in Christ and live out what Christ has called us to. We get to experience this. It's kind of like, man, I I can behold, or you can behold, excuse me, how much I love my wife, right? And the way in which you would behold How much I love my wife, or really, you could put it on anything. How much you love Michigan football, or Michigan State football, or Ohio State football, if you're weird. But like, (laughs) you can you can behold. I'm saying behold, right? The works of Jesus. Well. How do you behold whether I love my wife or whether someone loves Michigan football or, for that matter, anything else really? Is it because, man, you look at me and you're like, man, I just looking at you can tell you're her husband. And so, man, uh, because of that, I could tell you love your wife. No, that, that would be weird. It wasn't just because, man... Jim, you're married to your wife, so I can behold you really love her. No, the way in which you behold whether I love my wife is the way that I act towards her, the way that I interact with her, the way I lay my life down, the way I speak to her, the way I sacrifice for her, the way I I maybe buy gifts for her. The same would be with your sports team. I get to how much you love by how many times you posted this week. Bet. (laughs) Or... They told us we stole signs, or whatever it is. Like, I can tell how much you love something, not just by who you are, but the way that you live towards it, right? So this is what I'm getting at. This is what he's talking about here. If you want to see the love of God, look no farther, farther than the actions of Jesus. This is the, the glory of God put on display, beholding the work of Jesus. We're not saying, man, Jesus is the Son of God, so I know God loves me. No, we're saying, Jesus, or God loves me because I know Christ gave up everything, put on human flesh, and came and died for me. And it all started on Christmas when he entered the world in human flesh. Behold the works of Jesus and see how God deeply and profoundly loves you. It's like Paul said, In Romans 5.8, if you've been in church, you know this well. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you still hated God, spit on God, tore his beard out, and murdered him, and all of your sins were put on him while you were still sinning. You didn't chase after God. You didn't love God. No one did. Christ still died for us. He loved us. And that on display... I want to behold that because that is what fires me up to follow him. That is what you have to behold to enter into relationship with Jesus. Man, you want to know God? Look at Jesus. You want to know God? Look at the works of Jesus. And how do you receive the love and the grace of God, the grace upon grace? Well, you go back to John 3.16 you're joining online today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Maybe you celebrate Christmas. You're a religious person. I don't care about any of that. What I'm concerned about is whether you have stepped in and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, placed your faith fully in him, nothing else, repented of your sins and said, man, Jesus, I don't even know what it fully looks like to follow you, but I know that I have to repent and have faith and believe in you. And I'm stepping in today and help me to figure out the rest as we move on together. And that is the reality for us. And for the rest of us, it's what you've already experienced in this room. And you you can behold the works of Jesus and that is something that should compel you in this season. It should compel you to say, man, what is God calling me to? Jim talked about it today in the last couple weeks, generosity in the church. Man, I'm compelled to do that because Jesus is the most generous person in all of time. Man, what am I compelled to? Man, I, 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 Jesus... Jesus says according to his word that I'm called to love my enemies. Man, I, I'm compelled to do that because I behold what Christ has done to me, an enemy of his, yet he gave his life for me. Man, I, 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 I know what, what God is calling me to in everyday life. Why would I do that? Why am I, why am I moving forward only out of a heart of gratitude because I've beholded not just the person of Jesus but the works of Jesus and what he's done for you and for me? And it started at Christmas as a baby in a manger. And today, I'll I'll invite the band to come out now. We're going to take a moment and pause just for a second. Hopefully, as you came in, you got a little communion cup. And I just thought I'd just today in the message, in the service, in this moment, just pause. And for us to take a moment and reflect in the midst of the text. See communion. We, we do communion on the first Sunday of each month, but really, each time we gather here, we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what Christ has done for us. And, and man, what a what a what a great way to behold the works of Jesus by taking communion, right? Because the the fruit, the juice here, it is a picture of His blood, which was shed. For us. That's what Christ ultimately came to do. He didn't just come to live as a baby, live a perfect life, and just be, you know, kind of like sucked back up to heaven. No, he came that he could give his life for us. The little wafer, insignificant, but it represents his body, which is broken for us. The ultimate act that he would come to do when he came on Christmas is that he might give his life for us. And so I just want us, before we move on and go about a bunch of stuff, and the team's going to sing a song quick, I just want us to pause for a moment. And and I called you, I want you to behold Jesus. And in this moment, I just want you to behold Jesus. Maybe today for you is just closing your eyes and asking the Lord, when I just want to behold you today, and just quiet your mind and heart and allow the Spirit of God to bring about anything to your mind and your imagination. Maybe God takes you to a manger. Maybe Jesus takes you to the foot of the cross. And I just want us to take a moment, a couple of moments today and just reflect and don't just talk about be and let's behold who Christ is. And more importantly, what he has done, the works of Jesus that redeems us and rescues us and covers us. So I'm gonna pray and they're just gonna sing and then I'll come back up before I have a few more words for you and we'll take communion together During this time, maybe take a couple moments and reflect and maybe it's a moment of confession. Lord, I haven't done a great job of beholding you in my life and I need to change that. Lord, maybe there's some things going on in my life I need to repent of in this moment. I need to be right before I take communion just so flippantly that your body was broken your blood was shed for me. So let's just take a moment. I'm gonna pray and they'll sing and just take a few moments to reflect and behold together. Close your eyes with me. God, thank you. thank you for your body, which is broken for us, your blood, which was shed for us. Today, we behold your glory in you, Jesus, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, that we might be saved. And so, God, we quiet our hearts and our minds for a couple of moments just to enter into the season remembering what you came for to give your life as a sacrifice for us grace upon grace today lord we behold your glory it's in jesus great name we pray amen if you could see god what do you imagine you would encounter What's amazing is that you don't have to imagine anymore. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to anything. You know what you can do? Look to Jesus. That's where John points us. And you want to see what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to look at how much God loves you? Look at Jesus and what he has done for us. Today, we behold the glory of God because beholding the person of Christ and what he's done is to behold God. And I hope you leave this place knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what the season means as we enter into the rest of December. Christ came for you and it started in a manger. And may we be people that respond to that beholding, By looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song as we leave this place. And may the Spirit of God do his work in your heart and your life and mine as well. As we leave here, just celebrating and beholding Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thanks for Today, as I've already declared, thank you for the moments, these sweet moments we have to be able to just look at Scripture together, God. Thank you for the picture of Jesus in Scripture that we might behold him. God, thank you for sending your son that started on Christmas that we might receive grace upon grace. Take us from this place, Lord, uh, ready to live out all that you call us to, reacting to the goodness and the beholding of Jesus. Thank you for your love. It was so great that you sent your Son for us. and Thank you, Jesus, for giving up everything that we might be with you. Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling and equipping and convicting us. Take us from this place empowered. To show the world who you are that they might behold your glory. It's in Jesus' great name we pray, all God's people say.